downstairs for Children's Church. Uh, everybody else, um, I, uh, we're going to pray, and we are going to uh, dive into our text for today. Uh, if you would, I know I pray every week, and I, I'm sure everybody uh, is, is praying intently along with me when I do. Uh, I... I uh, have spent a lot of time during this break thinking about preaching and teaching and how all of that works, and I, I'm going to be doing, uh, oh my gosh, it's quarter to noon, uh, I'm going to be doing, it's quarter to 11, so I'm starting late, uh, but but I'm going to be doing some things different to try and tighten things up, to try and uh, preach better, and I, I'm a little nervous this morning, like I haven't been nervous preaching a sermon in forever. I'm a little nervous. Okay, so if we pray, like, please pray for me. Uh, not as much for me, but that the, the Holy Spirit would move, that you guys would hear from him and not from me. Uh, that, that uh, yeah, that God would be glorified in our hearts. Um, Heavenly Father, I, uh, I pray that you would be with us today. Uh, be with me as I unpack the word, as I share the gospel as I uh, bring to you, uh, bring to these folks like the treasures that are in your word, Lord God. I, I pray that you would um, give me grace, help me to be faithful, help me to um, be focused, uh, and, and most of all, help me not to get in the way of your spirit's leading, of, of your gospel, of anything that is, uh, that is, you know, that is from Christ. I hope that the, I pray that the people who are here would hear from you, that they would come to know you more intimately, that you would touch their hearts uh, and, and their minds and just everything that they are with uh, the truth of the gospel uh, and the words of, of Solomon here in, in Ecclesiastes. Um, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, did not pick the text. Got it? And I consider that I barely, barely picked the uh, illustration. So uh, that is my disclaimer. I know. What have I been doing? Well, uh, I'll tell you. I came back on Monday, uh, and I said, all right, so starting Monday, having heard Jeremy preach Ecclesiastes 3, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend Monday praying about the text, about what I'm going to preach, about how I'm going to come at it, about the whole thing, and I had ideas in my head already, and I, I went walking, which is kind of one of those things that I've discovered. If I walk and pray and reflect and everything else, like I, I, tend, to, I tend to do a little better. i got to be in motion. I don't know if anybody's noticed. I am a motion kind of guy. So on Monday, I'm walking around, uh, and I, I actually had this moment where I saw a car parked ahead of me in the middle of the road. And I thought, that is really weird. Why is that car parked the wrong way? It was rusty. It was old. And I thought, that is strange. And as I approached, I realized the car was approaching me sideways. And I thought, man, that's weird. How on earth could this be? And I I sort of slowed down and I watched. And before long, the car passed me. And it's not a forklift. I don't know what this thing is. What's it called? It's a car moving thing. Or a car hearse, I assume. Uh, not the car. I know that's a car. I, you know. Um, but I, I watched this thing coming at me, and I thought, oh, that is, that is one of the cars going up for auction. Right? Y'all are familiar with this? 
There is a uh, collection of cars around town, uh, and, and they're all going up for auction, and I watched this thing go by. And as I prayed, and I like went to my office, and I went for another walk, and I prayed some more, and I looked at the text options, and really I knew I had to do Ecclesiastes 4 because it's kind of the next one. We'll go to the New Testament when the time change happens. It's what we do every year. Uh, and so I'm like, well, i got to do Ecclesiastes 4, and I'm praying about it. And as I'm walking and praying, more and more cars are going by me. And I found myself watching these cars go. And suddenly I realized that these cars, these rusted out cars, are really Ecclesiastes as kind of a parable, right? And, and we're going to dive into this. Uh, and, and understand, like, as I was praying, like, this clicked, and it was, uh, all right, well, we got to talk about cars. I, I don't need those. Thank you, though. Um, I, I uh, have nothing to say about rusty cars. I have nothing to say about anything related to, to the people who own them or anything. Nothing like that. This is, oh, wow, this fits. Everybody with me? Now, having come back from uh, eight weeks of resting from work, uh, I was uh, forced to confront the crazy fact that Ecclesiastes 4 is about work. And it is about maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Or actually um, putting work where it belongs in the order of our lives. Okay? But we got to go back a little bit for context. So, um, we're going to talk about cars just a few more seconds. Um, every one of those cars was once brand new, right? Just like every old person I know, including myself, was once young, right? Um, every one of them, right, every one of them rolled off an assembly line and, like, had this beautiful, glossy shine, right? You know the one I'm talking about? The one that goes away if you drive gravel on Montana, or drive on Montana's gravel roads for any more than five minutes, that, that glossy paint job, it goes away. And the excitement like that comes with them when they come off the assembly line and you see them in the like showroom, right? Like, do you all ever buy a new car? I haven't, so I don't know what this is actually like. But like when you walk in and you see this brand new thing and it is potential and you think, man, I could use that for work. Man, that'll impress the girls. Man, not that anybody, anybody here would be that shallow, but, you know, like there is this, this excitement that accompanies this brand new car. But there is nothing we can do in the long run to stop it from doing what cars do. Every car I have ever owned, even when it was nice, got dings. Right? You can get a new windshield every year, but come, uh, like, hauling season... You're going to have chips and cracks. It is unavoidable. Everything in the world, you can baby it, you can wash it every day, you can wax it, you can keep it in your garage, you can do everything, but eventually, sun will fade the paint. Eventually, chips will happen. Eventually, rust. Ooh, and even in Montana... Right? This isn't Chicago, but in Montana, rust will find its way into our cars. And ultimately, every one of those cars will do what the cars over here did. They will go back where they came from. The metal was mined out of the ground, and one day they will sit in a place where they will return to the dust they came from. 
This is one of the recurring messages of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to do chapter 3 really briefly. If you want to really dig into this, I wrote like this overly long like diatribe on it. I emailed it out. Read it. Let me know if it's helpful. I think ideally it'll help you get more out of these books. And I, I want to keep doing it. But everybody returns to the dust. So we will all die one day. It is bad news. I'm sorry to break it to you. All right? Um, but God made us in his image out of the dust and imprinted eternity on our hearts. We were designed to live forever. And so part of us, part of us wants to live forever. And part of us always has an eye on the future. And so, like, we're always sort of not content with what we have because we know there's supposed to be something more. Um, and this is what Solomon talks about. He wrestles with this idea that, like, we want our works to last forever. We want our name to last forever. We want to live forever. But everything we do, everything we are, everything we say, it'll go away. Right? Like that, like that station wagon resting out in that field. Like, it will go. There is no avoiding it. Um, the Solomon's solution to the, the horrible truth of that is the best we can do now is to walk with God and enjoy our lives, right? That's the best we can do. Do good for the rest of our lives. Walk with God. Know him. Know that he is eternal and everything stretches out in front of us into eternity. And God's got that. But I have now. I have today. And... In particular, he says, we need to enjoy the fruits of our labors, right? So if you work, you should enjoy life, right? Like if I make money, it is not a bad thing for me to have a nice meal, right? I know it's awful. Um, I assume that everybody who raises cattle eats steak. You all with me? I know that folks who are not as blessed to be able to raise cattle eat uh, hummus or couscous. What is it that you eat, Steve? Uh, you enjoy the fruits of your labor and the best of it. And you enjoy it with your family. And you enjoy your life because that is what God has gifted you. But also you're supposed to enjoy your work. Enjoy work because it is a gift. I assume that Solomon never shoveled out a grain bin. I haven't either. I don't want to. <laughs> I assume Solomon never picked rocks, right? I assume that Solomon also never went out at 2 o'clock in the morning in negative 40-degree weather to see if there is a baby cow hanging out of another cow, right? I did that once when I came here to interview, and I came anyway. I did it with Rebecca, actually, uh, and there was. And then I got to watch them yank a cow out of another cow in the middle of the night. It was really awesome. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be crass. I haven't preached in a while. I'm rusty. Um, <laughs> everything in this life, the enjoyment of work and the enjoyment of our meals and our families, it is like a coming attraction for forever. Heaven will have the best meals, right? The sunrise over the mountains. Any of y'all ever watch that? Oh, my Lord, right? That moment of watching the sun come up is a foreshadow. It is the Avengers endgame preview of forever. It's not meant to be everything. And work is designed into us. God meant us to work. And on the best days, work is wonderful, isn't it? 
And it's a foretaste. It is the appetizer preparing us for the main course, which is eternity in Christ. Now, that is chapter 3. We dive into chapter 4, and he addresses this crazy, crazy truth that work. I really want to say a word that's not like fitting for this setting. Work is not fun. Do we need an amen? Work sneaks in everywhere. It's like sand, right? Or the dust, the Montana road dust. You know what I'm talking about? It goes everywhere. You cannot make things not dusty here. It is crazy. Um, and because of that, a lot of people will hear what I'm saying here, right? Like this idea that, that dust and, or excuse me, work and all this, that it's a gift. Like, and they'll say, wait a minute, that's not a gift. I don't want that gift. That's fruitcake, right? Like nobody wants the fruitcake at Christmas. You give it to the next guy. Um, it's not a great gift. And so like what we need to, what we're going to talk about and what um, Solomon moves on to, I'm two minutes longer than I wanted this part of the sermon to be. I'm so sorry. Um, what Solomon wanted what Solomon does next, he moves into this next section and he says, well, wait a minute, why isn't work a gift? Why does work happen to be awful? Right? Why? Why does it invade everything? Why is it everything? How do we get this huge chunk of our life to stay where it's supposed to be and to be out of control? And the next two messages, we're going to be talking about that. Um, we're going to be talking about this idea that um, work is out of whack. Um, we're going to diagnose this week, and we're going to treat in earnest next week. Everybody with me? This was Otherwise, it was going to be an hour-long sermon. I'm sorry. And we're already on our way. Um, so uh, we're going to do Chapter 4 now, and we're going to dive into it. But we're going to come back to cars, because I've noticed there are different kinds of cars, and like different kinds of cars that we encounter around here especially. I'm going to try and address that, Okay. First off, there are cars that we drive until the wheels fall off. Does anybody recognize this? How'd that truck get there, Rebecca? The story I heard is that this particular work truck, it was on its way to do something. It broke down, and whoever happened to be driving it, it might have been Henry, I think it was Henry, got out and left it. He drove it until the wheels fell off. I had a car once that was so bad that it broke down in one way or another, every time I drove it, it leaked so bad there was standing water in the floorboards. And eventually I had to get rid of it when it caught fire. I drove it home on fire. I was close. Right? And some of us work that way. Right? Some of us are forced to work that way is actually our initial area of focus. Ecclesiastes 1. So there are three verses here, um, and they're chunked together um, in three sections. So you'll have three little sections, three types of work address. And so our first one is um, under verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppression that was under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And so what is going on here is these are people who have to work. And they don't have a choice. At the time, these would be slaves, right? Or people so poor that, like, they really didn't have an option. Like, you ate or, or you worked, you know, seven days a week for nothing or you starved. 
right? And this is not a good deal. Sometimes poor people at this time, one of the reasons you would have children is because you would sell them into slavery for a little while, like for two or three years. Like, hey, here, take Josh. He works one day a week, but he works okay when he does. Uh, and you can have him for a year in exchange for this money. And that's how they would eat. That's how they would pay debt. And like, those guys were crushed under the weight of work. There was no rest. There was no enjoyment. They would work and toil and work and toil and work and toil. And in the end, they didn't get to enjoy their families. Because what were they doing? Working. They didn't get to sit and enjoy a nice meal. I remember being much poorer in college when I would eat $30 a month worth of food. And I remember every week I would have one quasi-extraordinarily cheap, nice meal, and I enjoyed the absolute heck out of it, right? It was my non-mac and cheese meal. And, and it was wonderful. But that, you know, you can be poor and enjoy, right? Like you can savor the gifts God has given you. And these are people who don't get to do that because the people who are above them say, work. Work, work, work. That is all there is. You will work for me, and that is it. And no one steps up and says, hey, back off and let him have a break. Let him have a Sabbath, right? Would have been the big argument at the time. And the prophets get all up in arms about this. By the way, if I start stepping on your toes, I am not sorry. All I'm doing is preaching the text. I am not preaching at you. Um, This is drive that worker to the point that he breaks down in the field and then move on. Because it ain't worth fixing him. Because he has no worth. His life is not worthy to enjoy God's gifts. It is only worthy to feed my need. Everybody with me? Gosh, this is sharp, right? I try not to drink. Well, anyway, I'm going to get into that. I'll write something on this if you're curious to hear more about this topic. Any one of these, I can't go into them too deep. Sorry. But I will write about them. I will answer questions, etc. So, two and three. And I thought... The dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So he says, listen, I look at these guys who are crushed by work. I look at them and I realize that the ones who died are better off because they don't have to do what they're doing. And this is the sharpest, sharpest, sharpest nail in the box. Watch this. It would be better that they had not been born than to live this way. The ones who are really fortunate are the ones that don't have to be alive at all because they don't have to be crushed under the weight of their work. For a pro-life person like me, when I read that, and I was like, holy what, that is a parallel I don't like, right? It would be better that they never came out of the womb than to live the life of working under, like with no choice of stopping and enjoying God's creation. But this happens, right? And it doesn't happen as much here. There are coffee, uh, plant, or coffee farms in South America. Like one of the reasons you can go to McDonald's and get a dollar cup of coffee, right, is because there are people who are wage slaves. They don't make enough planting coffee to pay the debt that they borrowed to plant the coffee And so they just cycle, and they sell their coffee so cheap because they can do it. And that's like when you get a dollar cup of coffee at McDonald's. That's what you're getting. You're getting slave labor coffee, right? And Solomon is saying, and I think it's hyperbole, 
right? I think this is an exaggeration to make a point. It would be better not to be born than to do that. And, and these things exist. There are folks who are, are forced to work, and I actually wrote this out so I could be careful not to say it the wrong way. Um, but there are folks who are forced to work um, at such a way that they can never stop. You know, everything, everything, everything to the boss is the most important thing and to you is non-existent. These are people who prioritize money or the business or the family farm or whatever over the work-life balance, over the, the, the God-given created order within the life of the person who works for them. It would be better for that guy not to show up at all. That's harsh, isn't it? Paul, and you're going to hear me come back to this over and over again, he puts a great frame around this issue. And this is a frame that applies to both sides because he is talking about the people who are crushed under the weight of work and the people who crush, right? Because if you are willing to crush someone in order to get your, like, objective, your cheap coffee or whatever, like, if you're willing to crush that guy to get what you want, then, um, then you're stealing from him and you're killing your own soul. You're treating a human being as nothing, Oh, no time to spend time with your kids. Get to work. No Sabbath for you. Get to work. Paul puts a frame around this when he says, like, do everything unto the Lord, right? So when you treat the people who work for you, when you treat the people who serve your business, you have to look at them and say, I'm working with this guy as though I'm working with the Lord. And conversely, because Paul applies the same idea to slaves, right? Slaves? Obey your masters and serve them as though you're serving the Lord. Because we're free in Christ. We can step outside of this work-to-live dynamic, and we can look at things and say, this life is not all there is. I'm working for Jesus. And that is how we put this into order. We begin to look and say, my work is for Christ. And so when I work too many hours because I don't have a choice, I'm working for Jesus. And I'm going to love this person like Jesus. And I'm going to work as though Jesus himself is going to come and check my work. It's hard, isn't it? A lot of times people will say, um, oh, I want to get into that. Uh, there's some interesting stuff there. I don't have time uh, to dig into it. Uh, the idea here, though, is um, if you are in this position where there is nothing but work, where you have been stuck in this spot, understand that the escape, the escape, if you have no power and nobody who's going to speak on your behalf, the escape is to like turn to Christ and say, I'm free in you even if I'm not now. Everybody with me? All right. So we'll move along. So Paul or Solomon has covered this. Like this is it. Slaves, masters. These guys have work out of whack. And that's obvious, right? It's obvious. So we're going to jump into the next one. There are those who work in such a way as to where they destroy everyone else and themselves in the process of keeping up, right? We all know the derby. What is the objective of the derby? To be the last one standing. To hit everyone as hard as you can and dig deeper and work harder. I may destroy my back end. I may destroy my front end. My wheel might fall off. But if I can keep moving... And I'm the last one moving, I win. Right? The problem is that when you're done, there's nothing worth having. There's nothing worth doing anything with but leaving it in a field to rust. Ecclesiastes 4.4. And this is part of uh, 
a chunk, like these three verses. He talks about this, and then we'll talk about the next. Uh, then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is striving, is vanity and striving after the wind. Now watch this. Um, the idea here is these are folks who work because they look and they say, I need to do better than that guy. Right? I got to work harder than that guy. I got to work harder than this guy over here. Actually, sometimes you find young men who will work, work, work themselves to death because they're trying to impress their workaholic father. Guess what? You're going to break down long before you get a good job, my good and faithful servant there. Can't do it. And if we work this way, it will destroy us. Now, mind you, if you have a job, right, like there's this truth, if you have a job, your workplace will always ask for more. Do you understand? I've never had a job where they're like, man, Eric, you did a really good job knocking that out. Why don't you hang out and take a break? Nope. You got time, they'll fill it. You got free time in your own life, they'll give you another shift. Work will always gobble up more if you let it. You cannot avoid it. This is what Solomon's talking about, not what Eric's talking about, mind you, right? And so he's saying, listen, people who live this life where they drive to have more or where they say, I'm going to give my kid everything I never had, right? But then they don't give them themselves because they're so busy working. They're just destroying themselves. This is the heart attack you get at 55 because you put in crazy hours. This is the, I can't sleep at night because I'm so stressed out from work when I get home. This is me, actually, because I'm going to tell you, this is me preaching at me. This is not me preaching at you. Um, I realized during sabbatical when I came to church on Sunday mornings, every Sunday, and I, I had a day where I was like, oh, wow, I just yelled at the kids for no reason. Really lost it. No reason. And I'm not even stressed out. You know what I had done? I'd become so used to being stressed out before worship that I was always in a bad mood, and I carried it with me. And this morning, I had to stop and spend time praying. Lord, don't let me take on something that is not mine. Let me rest before I come in and lead folks in worship. Or I would sit on the couch on a Saturday morning working on sermon stuff or working on something else I needed to get done or figuring out how to solve some problem or whatever. And I'm so busy doing those things that when Titus comes up to me and says, Dad, can we play a video game? Dad, can we do this? Dad, can we do that? I turn to him and I say, a little later, son, I am. But it's Saturday, right? What am I telling him? Son, I love you. The derby ain't stopping. When the derby stops, I'll stop. You know when the derby stops in life? About two minutes after you fall on the ground. Not me, I'm going to have to work on my funeral day. Um, there's striving after the wind. You get nothing out of it. Um, then there's the barn car. This is the opposite, right? This car, by the way, I, it's a French car, so obviously this is how it looked when it came off the production line. Um, it, it was parked in a barn before World War II, and this happened. This car sold at auction for $2 million. $2 million. It was not miles that turned it into this. It was not wear and tear. What was it? It was sitting. Because we are designed to work. 
We are designed to work. And there are those who fall into verse 5, right? The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. What does that mean? That means he is the guy who sits back and like the guy who has his talent and he buries it in the yard. You know that parable, right? Buries it in the yard and he says, oh, I'm safe. I'm good. I'll consume, you know, I'll do nothing and I'll come out safe on the other side. Except he doesn't bury it in the yard. He uses the talent to eat and house himself. If we choose not to work, if we choose not to serve as unto the Lord, right? If we choose not to go out and do the work of Christ and say, I'm going to relax because that's what I want, we're eating the time we have. We're eating the life we've been allotted. And it was allotted to us so we could serve Jesus. Now, I didn't say, I don't want to double back here half a second. The guy who works too much and the guy who works too little, both of them have forgotten that work belongs at a certain place in our lives. It is work is unto the Lord. And if the Lord tells you work 18-hour days and ignore your kids and never take your wife out on a date or whatever, then, you know, that's a thing. But the Lord ain't going to tell you that. You know why? Because you're right. Because that's work becoming an idol. That is serving two masters, God and money, right? And then saying, you know what, God, I'll let you hang out over here. I got work to do. And when it says you'll hate one and love the other, what he really means, like this greater to the lesser, he means you will love one and ignore the other. And so when I serve work and not my family, I'm ignoring my family. And I'm ignoring Jesus because my job is to be pastor to my kids. Right? My job is to take Sabbath and rest and spend time with Jesus and say, Lord, Help me enjoy what I get out of this. That's my job. So we got folks who oppress and are oppressed. We got people who work too much or not enough. And actually his level here is better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. What does that mean? It means rest. It means work. Now, the trick is that they don't like being apart from each other. And so they have a tendency to... Oh, I'm going to spill a little bit of rest on the floor. Sorry, son. Sorry, honey. I know we haven't been on a date in three and a half years, but I got a little more work to do. Let me pile it in there. And you know what? You're chasing the wind. What you end up with holding when you chase the wind isn't work and rest or work or rest. It is nothing. And we cannot, cannot, cannot pursue the wind and pursue Christ. I got a video clip. Lighten it up. I know I'm being a lot. You all know this movie, The Blues Brothers? If you've not seen this, watch the edited version. There's a lot of swearing. It's rated R for swearing. It is amazing. Uh, This scene is at the end of the single greatest car chase scene ever. The Fast and the Furious wishes it could be that. Jake and Elle would have been running from the cops forever, right? And, like, they're doing crazy stunts, and people are crashing. They jumped off a bridge and flew for some reason. I don't even understand that. It was amazing, and they finally get where they're going. Please play, please play. No! All right, my wife's going to fix it. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. My mouth's really dry. There is a video. It's embedded from the Internet. All right. 
It's not going to work. All right. So what's happening here is they pull in, they get out of the car, they start to run in the building, and as they step away from the car, it's like it exhales and it explodes out and disintegrates, right? Just How many of y'all feel like that most days when you get home? Actually, when you go to bed, right? Because, like, it's work, it's kids, it's this, it's that. It's the other thing. It's all of this stuff piled up, and you get to the end of the day, and you're just like... There are whole cottage industries built around selling humorous junk to people who work too much and are stressed out and exhausted. You know the ones I'm talking about? And you know why they do that? Because it's easier to make a joke about it than to admit that you're collapsing under the weight of the life that you've chosen. Oh, the kids are asleep. Oh, I'm finally done with work. It's Saturday. Oh, I fall apart. I love this movie. I've had cars like that. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 7 and 8. Again, I saw under the sun one person who has no other either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he has never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. So watch this, and this is cool, it's easy to miss. The first, those who are enslaved, who are oppressed by an oppressor. Those who work too much and not enough, which is basically the oppressed and the oppressor, right? Um, And then we jump over to those who oppress themselves. I ain't even working for anyone. I just want to work, right? It's a little like drinking, though. It might feel good for a little while. You do it long enough, and suddenly it doesn't feel very good. Suddenly you just drink so you don't go through withdrawal. I lived this way for a little while where I would work, 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 so I never had to sit still and realize that all of the work I was doing was pointless. This was in my 20s. Um, We allow Sabbath to get out of whack. We allow ourselves to become enslaved to our jobs, and our relationships die. So this is the guy, right? And I don't mean any of y'all because I know you don't do this. This is the guy that, like, spent so much energy wooing this pretty young thing and now hides at work to avoid her. Anybody ever see this happen? Don't point. This is the guy who's cheating on his wife with his job or his tractor or his sprayer or something else because everything is more important. Like, because this is all that matters. Nothing else matters. This is it. This is all of life. Drive, 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 drive. This is like the guy whose child, like our children, their first exposure to God is us. People grow up knowing what the Father is like by watching you and knowing what you are like. And if you don't look like Jesus, if you are the guy who is about to collapse behind the Blues Brothers, then your child is going to look and say, God is a distant stranger who... Everything else is more important than me to God. Don't be that guy. We enslave ourselves to work. This is a self-inflicted wound. 
It is, it is a thing that makes us miserable. It, it steals life from us. And the crazy thing is that this guy, is, as Solomon says, he doesn't realize that he's just going to end up in a field rusting. And no one's going to inherit his stuff. The only legacy he's going to leave, right, is a dent in the ground, a bunch of stuff in a garage sale, right, an auction for his property when he's done, and maybe like a bunch of the stuff that he really thought was worth having ending up in a landfill. That's it. Work, 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 and leave nothing. It's heartbreaking. So what do we do with this? Like, this is a lot of law. Let's have some gospel, Eric. Let's get there. Um, as I work through these examples of, like, work gone wild, you probably know people who fit these categories. Or some of you all might be those people. And it's because these are people whose check engine light is on, right? Check engine light is on. They've thrown a rod, right? And the light that has come on is, you're working too much. It's not the broken thing. The broken thing is you and Jesus, them and Jesus. That is the broken thing. That's what set the light off. And a lot of times we try to get our work lives under control. Has anybody here ever tried to get your work life under control? I got to get my stress tamped down. I got to get all this stuff. Nobody except my wife raised her hand and me. I just came back. Uh, Like we let this stuff get out of control. And the check engine light comes on because we're so tired that we can't, or so we're tired but so stressed we can't sleep, or we're grinding our teeth. Or we're, you know, drinking eight gallons of coffee today and we're still tired. Or whatever it is, we do all of this stuff and the check engine light is on. You're tired. Work is getting out of control. And then, like, instead of trying to fix the problem, which is you and Jesus and work being where it's supposed to be, we try to fix the light. You ever do that? The light comes on and you start tapping it and like, come on. I know everything's fine. Or we put tape over it. Yeah, that's an old joke. Um, And our world is littered with people who are like that. They're frozen up inside, and the rest of them is catching up. Like people who are rusting out, but they're dead inside. We know folks for whom work has become the mistress, and everybody knows it. It's become an idol, and everybody knows it. We know that guy. Some of y'all are related to him. Some of y'all, like, went to his funeral, right? I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but you know Right? You know, this isn't like fake. Americans, we have an awful relationship with work. It's toxic as heck. We work, 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 work until we fall apart and we pretend it's virtuous. It's not. It's idolatry. I'm guilty of it more than any of you. So, no, I'm preaching this to myself, and that's why we're going so long. We know men who have alienated everyone, ended up alone, who's like, like, this is it. And when they realize that they're still empty at the end of the workday and they start looking for new things to fill themselves up with, like toys or cars or other material things or porn or liquor or whatever, and they think, I'm going to fill myself up with this, and they're still empty. Usually, right, like actually what it is is they have this God-sized hole inside of them. All of us have it. And if you try to fill it with anything other than Jesus or if you try to let your job push Jesus out of the middle, you'll, you'll be hungry forever. And never, ever, ever be satisfied. While watching these cars being rust, like these rusty cars being carted away the other day, I realized that the best thing that can possibly happen to any of them is what? Anybody know? If somebody bought them and restored them. Um, This is my example. This is a restored Mustang. 
every one of us, everyone here who knows Christ, looked like the top picture, only a little worse before Christ made you new. The best thing that can happen to the workaholic, the best thing that can happen to the idolater, the best thing that can happen to that rusted out piece of junk in the field is for Jesus to show up, pull them into the garage, and fix it. And then they'll come out looking better than the day they came off the production line. And probably with like nitrous oxide and two carburetors, a bunch of other stuff. And they will be amazing. Um, Callan has a truck like that. It's better now than the day it came off the production line. Because Callan dragged it in and fixed it. Like Jesus drags us in and fixes us. In relation to us, if you are sitting here and you know Jesus and you're hearing me say this and you're like, I wish Eric would stop stepping on my feet, understand it starts by setting a balance in your life. And the balance is not work less, spend more time with family. It is spend more time with Jesus, get Jesus' heart in me, make Jesus' priorities mine, and it'll level the whole thing out. That's it. Because Jesus talked about work all the time. Can't serve God and money, right? Talked about possessions like the the dishonest manager. Talked about this stuff all the time. And if we follow Jesus, we should know what he said about this stuff and then follow it. That's how you fix this. And honestly, it's not easy to do yourself because we learn it by doing it forever and ever. And it becomes this worn out path in our lives. And we're just following this worn out path to the field where we're going to rust until we get reclaimed by the, like the, the earth we came out of. And that is not worth doing. It is so much better to walk with Christ and be continually re- renewed. And so some of us might need somebody to stand next to us and say, you know, hey, dude, I need your help. I work too much. I'm lazy. I avoid work. I idolize work. I avoid my wife by going to work. And every other version of that, right? Some of us need that. And I'm going to tell you, if this is you, Find someone. Don't wait until tomorrow because you know what's going to happen? Work. It's like the blob. It just gets bigger. And it takes up more and it eats and eats and eats. It's also like a teenager in that respect. Um, don't do it tomorrow. Do it today. If you've got questions, if this hits you hard and you're like, I need to hear more about this topic or that topic, send me a text message. 399-3803. Do it right now. Um, because I will write about this. I will talk to you about it. I will help you. This is the unspoken sin in the church. It is. We're not following Jesus. We're working. And in fact, that's why some churches look this field over here. There are like the 900 cars and some of them were really cool once upon a time. Some churches are that. The room full of people who are rusting out and not following Jesus, broken down inside. Some of them even look beautiful on the outside, but the engine is seized. Or when they take the gospel in, it leaks out the bottom, right? Like Mater and cars, he leaked oil. Um, like, we, we can become this if we don't try, if we're not diligent, because Satan will seduce us into work. And the trick is, like, Christ can fix it. And actually, here's the other thing. You see rusted cars around town, right? You see them. They're there. Your job as a follower of Jesus is to be God's pit crew, right? Jesus fixes them. Your job is to be his hands and his voice. Who's going to hear the gospel if you don't tell them? 
Who's going to listen to you if they watch you live and you don't look like Christ? Who's going to listen to you if you've been a follower of Jesus your whole life and you've never finished the master mechanic class? Right? It's easy to follow Jesus a long time and not be able to, like, answer a single Bible question or talk about Jesus in any way that's reasonable. It is. We have to know Christ. We have to be intimate with him. We have to know the life that we're designed to live inside and out so that we can go to folks and bring them in. We are Jesus' tow trucks. We are Jesus' drag people in. And you know folks that need this, right? You know folks that are lonely and all they have is work. They just need somebody to love them. They need somebody to show them a little grace. And actually, there are people in this town, I've met people over the years where like, and I'm not talking about anybody who lives here anymore, actually, I can say that honestly, who spent so much time chasing after stuff that they ended up alone, and if you just sit down and talk to them for a little while, they become your best friend almost instantly because no one wants to go near the rusted out hulk in the neighbor's yard. No one. You can be that guy. You can walk next to them. You can talk about Christ. You can bring grace and restoration. You can drag them to the body shop where Christ himself will do the work. If you, are, like, if you want like, easy ways to do this, I'll tell you. Um, number one, live different so people want what you have. Look like Jesus and people will chase after you. I think it was Spurgeon, set yourself on fire and the world will come to watch. You want to say people become Jesus and they will come to you in droves. People follow Jesus even when he tried to avoid them. Beyond that, um, if you watch the sermons online, if you click share, it's so crazy. Really weird practical thing. If you click share, the number of people who see it goes from like 20 to like 90 for every share that we get. Isn't that strange? But, like, some people are like, well, I don't want to talk about Jesus with people. I'm uncomfortable. I get this. I get that. I mean, honestly, sharing stuff or just inviting, hey, why don't you come with us to church? Or brisket cook-off on the 25th. You want to cook. You want to come. You want to help judge. You want to this. You want to that. Like, it is so easy just to draw people into the family as a starting point. But the truth is, because most people are rusting out hulks, because most people are dead inside, we look at them and we say, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want people to think I'm a part of that. Christ isn't sending you to look nice. Christ is sending you with the tow truck. Um, In the coming months, we're going to talk about not necessarily work, but we're going to talk about this a lot. This is what we were made to do, people. This is what we were saved to do. We are saved to save others, to share the gospel, to pull the drowning in, to grow as believers, to know Christ better. And part of that, the hardest part, is going to be making work fit where it fits. If I stepped on your toes today... Pray. Talk to Jesus. Confess it. Repent of it. Confess it to another person. Make amends to the people, your wife, your kids, or whoever that you've hurt because you've idolized these things. Like, but start the process. Come talk to me and I'll walk with you in it. I've done this. I'm coming back from sabbatical because I live this way. Because all of us live this way. It's an epidemic. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would today. I pray that those who are crushed by work, who deciding, will I go to church today is determined by how much work do I have to finish? Will I go and spend time with my kids is determined by, I have to finish this project. I have to do this. I have to do that. And I'm, Lord God, shape them. 
call them. Let your spirit break hearts. Make us holy. Make us like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Still went wrong.